The decay was worst close to the waterfront, though in its very midst I could spy the white belfry of a fairly well-preserved brick structure which looked like a small factory. The harbour, long clogged with sand, was enclosed by an ancient stone breakwater, on which I could begin to discern the minute forms of a few seated fishermen, and at whose end were what looked like the foundations of a bygone lighthouse. A sandy tongue had formed inside this barrier, and upon it I saw a few decrepit cabins, moored dories, and scattered lobster pots. The only deep water seemed to be where the river poured out past the belfried structure and turned southward to join the ocean at the breakwater's end. Here and there the ruins of wharves jutted out from the shore to end in indeterminate rottenness, those farther south seeming the most decayed. And far out at sea, despite a high tide, I glimpsed a long, black line scarcely rising above the water, yet carrying a suggestion of odd, latent malignancy. This, I knew, must be Devil Reef. As I looked, a subtle, curious sense of beckoning seemed superadded to the grim repulsion, and oddly enough, I found this overtone more disturbing than the primary impression. Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing really good. Setting the tone there with some suitably grim uh, words from The Shadow of Innsmouth. I really enjoyed that passage. The thing that really struck me was that idea of... I think this is... I don't know if it's good writing, but good, good research. The idea that the harbour has silted up. Yeah, yeah. As a sign of, you know, not enough use and and decay in its own way. Yeah, and then people end up, you know, putting little huts on this sand because no one's using the harbour properly. Yeah, but also the harbour's all all silted up, but they still have the the the, the fish harvest is bounteous in uh, yeah. in Innsmouth, isn't it? Mysterious. Mm-hmm. I I haven't heard the word super added before. <laughs> I guess he means added on top, yeah. Yeah, hat on a hat. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to sub-added. Yeah. <laughs> Sub- subtracted, surely. <laughs> no, subtract is take away. Sub-add is to add something underneath. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't know that. I haven't... Swimming underwater and you sub-add a limpet ah. mine to the bottom of a submarine. I heard that before. I'm, wow, this this no. is this is a. a I don't know experience. if that's a word, Peter. I'm just riffing on super ad. <laughs> <laughs> You're an ed- editor. This is this is your stock and trade, right? You deal yeah, in words. Yeah, exactly. A word monger. A word monger, exactly. So, what are we doing today, Peter? Well, hopefully that that scene setting passage has set the scene for what we're going to talk about. Mm. We're talking about the Insmith conspiracy. Specifically, we're going to start to talk about the cards. I had a terrifying moment there that you thought we were recording our law episode. <laughs> yeah, I was like a rabbit cons- in the headlights, frozen against you. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh wait, we're doing. Yeah, we are about to do a law episode, but just not right at this moment, listener. So instead, we've done this in the past when the deluxe has arrived. Rather than trying to do a first look, we've done a kind of joint unboxing where we go faction by faction and take a look at the cards. I was going to say something like we should have a rule about how many hot takes we're allowed to deliver just so that this doesn't go on forever. But I think we'll just see how we get on, right? You've got your thermometer out to, to exactly. take the, the temperature. If it gets too hot, people's brains will start melting. We can't allow that. 
And I think what we'll do is we'll do the investigator that's linked to the faction we've chosen and their signatures, talk about them a little bit, and then do the cards related to the faction as well. And we'll try and fit in the neutrals and the new basic weaknesses as and when. I have a randomization device in my hand. Should we do the classic order? One is Guardian, two is Seeker, three is Rogue. Is it a cuboid randomization device? Exactly, yeah. And if we roll a six, then we are, in fact, doing the lore episode. Yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Here we go. Three is Rogue. Let's do this. I think this is a really good way to keep us on our toes, to do it out of order as well. Yeah, absolutely, yes. So Trish Scarborough is the spy. She's our rogue investigator in the Innsmouth Conspiracy. She was announced by Los Archivos de Arkham. Awesome coup for them to announce an investigator. And they did an amazing job because they announced her in Spanish and English simultaneously, which I think is really impressive. She has two willpower, four intellect, two combat and four agility. She's agency and detective traited. Reaction, after you discover one or more clues at a location with an enemy either discover one additional clue at that location or automatically evade that enemy. Limit once per round. Elder sign effect plus two. If this is an investigation, you may choose any revealed location. You're now investigating as if you're at that location instead. Eight health, six sanity. I'll blast on and look at her yeah, as well. Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah. As I said in our starter deck first looks as well, this isn't an investigator-specific episode, so we won't go into like all of the ins and outs, but we'll at least cover this. She's got a deck size of 30, she's rogue and neutral 0 to 5, and seeker 0 to 2, and she needs in the shadows, shadow agents, and a one random basic weakness. What jumps out to me about Trish initially is her 2424 stat line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the little, like... Well, we've seen a lot of investigators with the stat line, right? And does yeah. she finally complete she does yeah all of the, the the possible options which is good so this is the what the offensive mental stat but the defensive physical stat <laughs> exactly exactly she, yeah so she's yeah. the flip of zoe yeah is that right <laughs> yeah exactly so there's there's six people who have two fours and two twos and they are zoe min seth joe silas and trish and you can pair up any two of them and have a combined stat line of 6666 if you get the right combination. So, yeah. I quite like that because I think, in a way, it's, it's an easy way to say to someone, if you want to pick two investigators who pair well together, mm-hmm. maybe that's what you do. You know, you pick um, Min and Silas to go yeah. together or uh, Trish and Zoe. Exactly. I, or, I think I often actually do that as a rule of thumb. If someone says, well, I'll be playing as so-and-so, I think it's one of the first things I go to is, what faction is that investigator? So I'll probably not pick that faction. But then also, what do their stat lines look like they can do? And I'll try and pick stats that, that complement that in some way. Yeah. So the stat line is pretty funky. I think notably it's just one different from Finn. So she has one more willpower, but one fewer combat. And I think probably we'll be talking for a while about whether or not that's a good or bad thing. I've seen people play like combat fin decks, so you might not want to do that with Trish with only combat of two. Yeah, how, does, is Skids two three three four? Is that how Skids shakes? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, she's not dissimilar from from Skids either. Then mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The big difference, obviously, is that she's got this Seeker 0 to 2 access. So yes. she has potentially access to the most potent 
combination of two factions. Yeah, it's it's a really, really strong card pool, I think. Mm, yeah, I think so too. And with a, a good offensive clue stat and a good defensive stat in agility, it's kind of set up to just zoom. You know, it's like um, Ursula also has four intellect and four agility. So, so her ability as well, it, it sort of, the first thing that jumps out to me is uh, how did we not see Rex was so strong <laughs> as soon as we <laughs> saw him? Uh, because Rex just gets an extra clue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, he has to succeed by a certain amount, but, but Trish's mm-hmm. ability here is an extra clue with more strings attached. Yeah, Potentially, and it's limit or, or, or once or per round. <laughs> yeah, exactly, than, yeah, it's limit once yeah. per round. So you could play a scenario that for some reason has no enemies and Trisha's ability is blank. Yeah. Because the important thing was obviously that she needs an enemy. And we heard MJ Newman allude to the fact that they were developing a rogue that really cared about keeping enemies around. And obviously for Trish, you really want to leave enemies around because you want to then discover one or more clues at locations with enemies to either get more clues or automatically evade that enemy. Funnily enough, as I was reading it out, it reminded me that something like Whippoorwills might be Trish's best friend because you have an aloof enemy that follows you round and doesn't engage you. Admittedly, it is killing your stats. But if you had a Whippoorwill following you, Trish could just be getting two, two clues a turn at single locations forever. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, her reaction is to discovering a clue as well, which is which is nice because it means. Mm. Things like auto clue become also become auto evades, yeah, uh, or auto second clue. So working a hunch feels like a really nice pick for her, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think the hierarchy, you know, Intel report pretty good. Then working a hunch, pay two, get a clue fast, and get an evade or an extra clue just seems super strong. The fact that it's fast as well means that you're like baking multiple actions into one non-action. Yeah. Which is excellent. Yeah. And, you know, it's even better when you consider you might take something like pickpocketing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that working hunch potentially pays for itself if you've got your pickpocketings online. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the other thing that really struck me when, when Trish was announced was that there's a bit more awkwardness in solo than there is in multiplayer. Because if you're drawing enemies and at locations with them, they're probably engaged with you. You know, aloof is the only exception there. Which means that if you want to be getting clues to then get your evades, it's inverting the order that you'd normally have where you'd evade the enemy first, then get the clues, then leave. Which means fast clues, like you just suggested with working a hunch, is really the way forward to bake loads of different actions together. I'd be tempted to even maybe hold working a hunch in hand for that moment when I have a, I'm at a location with clues and I have an enemy on me and then I get away from them. Notable include as well, Pendant of the Queen. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If you can connect, collect the segments, that's another fast... Uh, well, collection. yes, it's it's a much more of a difficult ask in, well, a faction that isn't isn't natively seeker. Mm-hmm. Rogues, I guess if you're 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 powering through that um uh lucky cigarette case, maybe you you'll hit them yeah, quickly and pickpocketing, yeah. I must admit I haven't this is totally off topic for this episode. I've not tried the pendant in any investigator except for Mandy. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of talk when we we announced that card about how difficult it would be and, and the stats you'd, of how many cards you'd have to draw to, to, to reliably yeah. assemble it. And then found in Mandy that she laughed in the face of our stats. <laughs> she didn't. There's three times you get her as you go through yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good point. I mean, and that actually reminds me of what 
MJ said when we interviewed them about how when you have these combos where different things are strong, it's also about working out what part is particularly contributing to that. Yeah. And what you've just said about not running segments, not in Mandy, is a perfect illustration of that. Is segments the problem? Probably not, because it's harder to assemble. I think Trish could give it a good good shake. And like, you know, Trish with Lola Santiago and lockpicks is investigating at 10. You know, she's oh, definitely God, drawing yeah. cards with Lucky Cigarette Case. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. All the higher shrouds. So, yeah. Elder Sign Effect, plus two. And if you're investigating, you can get a clue from anywhere. <laughs> also amazing, right? Yeah, well, you you are now investigating as if you were at that location instead, which is combos with her reaction ability, right? So you could automatically evade mm. an enemy <laughs> at a different location, provided yeah. there's a clue there to be discovered. Yeah. Because oh, you have to discover yeah. one or more clues. Yes, that's very nice. Yeah. So you could, when she investigates... Her ability gets more range if you can pull the Elder Sign. Well, this is it. But also, her reaction ability is not specific to her location. Sorry, this is what you were probably alluding to with um, the Pendant. And I hadn't tweaked. Mm -hmm. Because you get a two-for-one on that ability, won't you? You'll find a clue at a remote location, but also evade an enemy that's there. Yeah, the Pendant cares. You pick a location, and then you either get a clue, move there, or evade an enemy. But as Trish, you pick a location get a clue and evade an enemy, which is nice, yeah. So you could pick your own location and get a clue testlessly and fast and evade the enemy that's engaged with you. But alternatively, you might, say, be about to move into a location with an enemy that you don't want to waste actions on. So you pick that location, yeah. There's going to be a lot of fun trying to create decks for her because there's so much choice in Rogue. And yeah, Should sorry. we... Well, I was going to say, we haven't looked at their signature cards. We haven't, yeah. Well, should we look at those? You seem like you were summing up, Trish. Ready to dismiss her. No, not uh, to dismiss. As, as, as is your like... won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, should we take a quick look at her signatures? Yeah, let's definitely take a look at her signatures. And it's your turn to read. Okay. Well, first up we have In the Shadows. This is a zero-cost event. It has, wow, two agility and two wild pips. And it is tactic traded, so Mark can run it. Uh, Trish Scarborough. Ah, oh, Trish Scarborough. He, he can't run it. Fast. Play after your turn begins. Disengage from each enemy engaged with you until the end of the round. Enemies cannot engage you and cannot deal, uh, and you cannot deal damage to enemies. Mm. Interesting. The the memory of on the lamb. Yes, sne- sneaking up here. It's not dissimilar from on the lamb. The thing that's so I've I've had a busy week and Frank. Obviously, wants to keep himself fresh to look at these cards for the first time, but I do. I have seen a secret card coming, so put a pin. Mm. Put a pin in this thought, and when we get onto our secret episode, we'll talk yeah. about this a bit more. Okay, that's a really interesting thing to say. Yeah. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll you'll, you'll see what I mean when we come to the card. I think for me, what jumps out is that this answers that one slight confusion I have around that she wants to do things out of order she wants to get clues to evade enemies and sometimes if you're engaged with enemies you need to deal with them first before you can get on with the business of getting clues and her signature says oh you're stuck with a load of enemies and don't have working a hunch in hand that's fine disengage from all of them they can't engage you until the end of the round you can't attack them but that doesn't matter you can start getting clues which will evade them anyway or getting lots of clues and leave and it just answers that nicely for you. I think it, it could be a real clutch card solo as well. Mm-hmm. It's a real, like, get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah. I mean, almost literally. 
it, it just you know those turns where you've you've drawn the the you know the piper has appeared on you and then you've drawn a big enemy from the deck as well. Yes. And you've drawn another bad mythos card, As in like, and, and things have just got you know lots of things have stacked on top of you, mm. and you don't have a way out. This card is just like, well, I get a turn, I get a turn off. Yeah, and actually comparing it to on the lamb, on the lamb says until the end of the round, non elite enemies cannot attack you. So Skids is still inviting the hurt; he's just not feeling it. But in the shadows, it's slightly different. That Trish is actually getting away from enemies, so she is more of the sort of scaredy cat creeping around in the shadows and skids is more of the light that all you can got you know he's got the more of the guardian flavor in, in on the lamb which is just notable and interesting yeah I th- thematically yeah i think it's interesting that this in the shadows certainly puts more agency onto trish and mm. almost like she's melting away because she yeah. can be engaged with the enemies and they're, they're there and then suddenly she's she's slunk back into the shadows and then she's moved away she's moved to a different location hmm yeah, and it reminds me of Ethereal Form. It's a similar kind of ghost mode, isn't it? Ethereal Form, you can evade one enemy and then run through a location with another enemy. Yeah, and and of course, because Trish has the, the card access she, she does, she could take something like Pathfinder. Yes, she could. <laughs> and then just race away. Yeah, so it's just like smoke bomb. What would Batman do? <laughs> yeah. And then she's she's away to a different location, investigating somewhere else. Exactly, yeah. Pulling an elder sign, evading the enemy. This is just yeah, exactly. Well, she 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 plays this, and then she plays working a hunch, and then she plays Pathfinder, um, <laughs> to find two clues and move a location and evade an enemy. Mm, yeah. Before she takes her first action. <laughs> I'm just thinking as well. Followed doesn't care if you're engaged with enemies or not, does it? It's a sort of lesser played clue card. But eavesdrop, which is also a lesser played rogue clue card just says choose an unengaged enemy at your location test intellect x where x is the evade value of the chosen enemy if you succeed discover two clues and one of the reasons people pan eavesdrop is that you have to evade first and then do this trickier intellect test to get two clues and there are just other quicker ways of doing it but i suppose if you've disengaged from all enemies at your location because you played in the shadows it makes eavesdrop that small bit more reliable Let's look at Shadow Agents as well. No yeah. Investigator is complete without their downside. This is an enemy weakness, which is means you can never have the situation I described with Trish, that you're playing a scenario with no enemies, because yep. you'll always have one. It's three fight, three health, five evade. Humanoid and cultist, Trish Scarborough only is its prey. Hunter, while Shadow Agents is engaged with you, you cannot discover clues except by investigating. Forced... After Shadow Agents is evaded, discard it. It does two damage. It does two damage, thank you, yeah. I was stopping on evaded and thinking, you could, at a push, <laughs> commit in the shadows. Yeah, well, this is the other yeah. thing about in the yeah. shadows. It, there's a lot of icons on that card. Yeah, particularly for agility, yeah. Get you up to an eight on five evading Shadow Agents. I, th- I feel like the better way of using in the shadows to deal with shadow agents, I'm so going to trip over all these shadows, is using it to disengage from each enemy engaged with you, which means that shadow agents is no longer engaged with you and you can discover clues. And then if you discover a clue, you get the auto evade on the shadow agents and it's discarded. Yeah. That that seems pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it's uh, I th- yeah, I think this is good. I don't necessarily think... It, it reminds me a bit of... Uh, is it Hood's Rita's weakness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that it, it attacks her ability to function as she'd normally function in a, in a similar mm. sort of way. Yes, yeah. 
I quite I quite like it. It's like a it's like a an enemy designed to counter how they play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think this this it's not doesn't seem impossible to deal with. It seems like at the worst, what you could do is take an attack of opportunity to investigate your location. Yes, and then if you get the discover, you discover a clue just from attack, uh, investigating normally, and that gets you the evade, which gets rid of the shadow agents. Yeah, and and any any evade boosting, so like slip away will evade. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. loads of cards that'll evade automatically or, or or give you a boost to your evasion, and yeah. that just kills this straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, Someone's that's got a stray cat, it'll evade it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the situation that I'm that makes me nervous about this card, and not saying I think it's a particularly dangerous card, but is exactly the situation you described where you end up with multiple enemies because having this as one of those enemies in the mix could be really irritating that you can't discover a clue to evade another one and you sort of i can see trish getting bogged down by that and basically spending the entire turn evading and that's where it's really nice that in the shadows is a really good solution to that that you just disappear from all of them maybe you evade the shadow agents maybe you don't get a clue whatever it is move on i mean five evade is a high evade value i don't think there's any getting around that yeah it's probably i think we've seen there's a couple of sixes right probably, on Evade. There's definitely sixes yeah. and, and higher on fight. Yeah. But five on Evade feels pretty good. What's her face? Um, is it that is high, Ruth, yeah. Ruth yeah. Wilson, is she called? She's a five, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Two, four, five, yeah. Wow. Corset flashback. Yeah. Anyway, right, should we jump onto some of the rogue cards? And I was thinking of for this this deluxe unboxing that we're doing, of course, as you've already hinted at, there are Seeker cards that... Trish can take, but we're not going to look at the Seeker cards now, so we're slightly siloing things, but we've got to find a way of doing it. Yes. Do you want to do the first one, or should I? It's your turn. Oh, we're doing, we're doing turns. That's fine. Okay, <laughs> first of all, we have the 25 Automatic. This is a four-cost asset. It has a single agility pip, and it has the item, weapon, firearm, and illicit traits. Well-known and beloved of all rogues. Apart from Preston. Apart from Preston. Uh, it has fast, uses four ammo, and it has action, spend one ammo, fight. If the attacked enemy is exhausted, you get plus two combat and deal plus one damage for this attack. And, of course, it uses a hand slot. Mm. So this is like a distract an enemy and then and then kapow with the, yes. the, the tiny pistol. It reminds me of Finn's trusty Derringer. And it makes me think that this is maybe a nice fit for Finn because you're getting the spare actions to evade and then it's giving you a nice combat boost. You're up to five combat with it and, and yeah. extra damage. Yeah, yeah I, I, it doesn't strike me as being a particularly great fit for Trish, who's fighting at four. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay, but I suspect Trish probably just evades enemies and then runs away. Yes, yeah, or plays backstab, sneak attack, you know, all of the, like, <laughs> uh, agility-based damage that Rogue has, yeah. But if you were doing a more combat-focused fin, or potentially, a, like, a skids deck? Yeah. Because he's, he's fighting shot. at five as well? Yeah. Potentially fits better than something like a 45 automatic in skids. Mm-hmm. Which is again is exactly the same cost, same ammo, but flashback fast. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And actually, what you want is, and I like rogue weapons often do this. They give you the bigger boost, but there's some condition for getting it. And places that I feel like it doesn't gone. I was going to say it has the fast keyword, which is one of the best keywords you can have as Mm. a as a weapon. 
you keep it pocketed, then the enemy's on you. You don't take an attack of opportunity to pull your gun out and start shooting it. Yeah. And then I started blasting. <laughs> Notably, the enemy has to be exhausted. So if you were to play in the shadows as Trish, everything disengages with you, but you can't damage them anyway. But also, using stealth doesn't help you then start damaging the enemies. And the other thing I think more importantly, if the enemy's engaged with someone else, you can't shoot them in the back of the head with this for extra damage, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And that makes me think, even though I like that combat boost, Leo and Tony probably don't like this, unless there's a dedicated evader on the team as well. Yes. Because even though it's nice boost and damage, you, you, you have to jump through that extra hoop of getting all the enemies you need evaded, which could just be super tedious yeah, but but it does sort of i think there is a slot for it's, it's sometimes having a, a fighter and an evader on a team there <laughs> is a little bit of awkwardness there that you're you know if you're using say a machete you're trying to re-engage with enemies that have been evaded already yes yeah even actually that thought of like well i'm going to evade this enemy anyway and then the fighter's saying well i'm going to just shoot it where it is and the choice you know if you want to save the action if you don't mind me shooting it while it's engaged with you i'll just do that Whereas the 0.25 automatic always encourages the evasion first, which is, that's good, right? It gets stronger in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a cheeky little fun card. I like, I totally agree with you on the fast. I think that's what really makes it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, oh, that I knew there was something else I wanted to say. Sharpshooter. <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> we have to evaluate all rogue weapons now in this post-sharpshooter age. So this could be plus two agility. So potentially Trish, Finn, Skids all like it if they're sharpshootering. They're maybe evading anyway, but then they're also getting even more of a spike in their Yeah, combat. yeah. I think the other thing to add uh, as well is that it does nothing if the attack enemy isn't exhausted. There's you not... can fight, you can well, use you the can... ammo, it's just a single damage, you may as well punch. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What's happened? So if the, if the enemy can see you shooting at it, the bullet is just turns to dust in the air. Yeah, well, 25 is, is, a, is a tiny bullet, isn't it? Wasn't, um, um, okay. wasn't, didn't Reagan get shot on stage uh, by a 22 or something and, and didn't notice? <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm sure that's, that's what that happened to, to Reagan. I think... Um, I can't, Werner Herzog got shot, didn't he, during an interview? But I, don't, I think it, he didn't get hit. Oh, again, I think that was a bigger bullet. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it was Reagan was delivering a speech, speech, and someone shot him, and he hadn't noticed. Yeah, I mean, your point is a really good one, though. That at least with Finn's Derringer, you can still get the combat boost, and you only get the damage boost if they're not engaged with you. But yeah. with this, this won't help you kill off a rats or. You know, it's not even useful, say, against swarms to start picking your way through swarms because all of what you want to get out of your weapon requires the enemy to be exhausted, which can get in the way. I mean, you know, at least Trish probably can evade enemies by getting clues. So it's, there's the action comp compression there. But then does she want to fight it for? Maybe not. So the next card, I think it's my turn to read, is Dark Ritual. This is a one-cost asset, one intellect icon. It's Ritual and Cursed traded. It says seal up to five curse tokens. Forced at the end of the mythos phase, you must either spend one resource or discard dark ritual. Takes up the arcane slot. The art is candles around an elder sign. And yeah, it's beautiful. 
Dark Ritual is a, uh, a famous magic card, Magic the Gathering card. Oh, is it? It's a, Do you it's know a, what it does? Yeah. I know what it does, yeah. I used to play it all the time. It, it costs one black mana, and it gives you three black mana. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, so it was a, an excellent acceleration card first turn. Yeah. Uh, because in Magic, your your mana curve increases usually at a rate of one per turn, because you can only play one land a turn. Yeah. So anything which accelerates you on that curve is, is usually pretty good. Hmm. This doesn't provide you with resources. In it does fact, not, it no. <laughs> spends your resources <laughs> if you want to keep it around. And this is the first time we're dipping our toe into Bless and Curse from from the cards that we've seen so far on the cast. I think there's a few different things that sort of jump out to me, little details about this card. The first is that it's not a spell, but it takes up the arcane slot. Yep. I think that's maybe useful just about who can and can't take it, because it kind of gates out some people who might want to take spells and keeps other people around. The other thing I like is that it's not seal five curses, it's seal up to five. So if you had a really panicked turn coming up and you knew there were a couple of curses in the bag, potentially spending one and an action to get those curses out of the bag for a turn, maybe it's the final turn and you just don't want any curses in the bag to finish off a big enemy or whatever else it is. Yeah, that's a possibility. That's exactly that's exactly what I was thinking. Actually, you know, it, 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 there's been it, we've seen a few of the the rogue cards kind of teased and spoiled, and there was almost an air of wasn't there a card which was something like skeptical or something? Yeah, skeptic, skeptic, and it, there was almost an air of they don't care about the curse tokens. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they're happy to let them build up. Yeah, they don't care about curse or bless. I think they just don't buy into any of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But this is a way. This is like the, the valve at the end of the game, where you've not you've been tempting fate all the way all the way through the game. Yeah, like yeah. just chucking those uh, curse tokens in the back. Then you say, "Well, actually, we kind of need a bit of luck here. So let's let's uh, do our ritual in order to stave mm-hmm. off the the cursed nature of, uh, of yeah. the forces we've we've invoked." Precisely. I think spending the action and the resource to seal is it's pretty taxing overall, particularly if you're only going to seal them for a turn. But it's in Rogue who have extra actions and who have lots of resources. So hopefully you're able to do that without minding. The other thing is that you could just keep paying if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure because there's a limit of 10 curse tokens, if you seal 5, if there were other effects that add curse tokens, they couldn't trigger because there wouldn't be any curse tokens left, if you know what I mean. There'd be 5 in the bag and 5 on this. If, if adding curses was a cost, obviously you wouldn't be able to trigger those things. But if it was, say, add a curse to the bag and do this other thing, you could get away with that, I think. Well, the, the, by, by that logic, if you played two, yeah, seal, seal five on each. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say there's an enemy that says when this enemy attacks you, add a curse to the bag. If there are no curses to add... You don't add a curse. You don't add a curse, I don't think. We'll have to read the insert carefully about the curse and bless rules. But yeah. The other person that, for me, this jumps out for is not Trish, even though we're doing the Rogue episode. It's Dexter, who can play this fast. It's another uh, cheap asset that he might want to get into play. He'd pay, pay zero as long as he gets rid of another asset, and maybe he scoops a load of curses up and then lets it move on, or maybe he spends the one resource to keep it around, and the following turn he uses his ability to turn this into something else. Like This is a nice transition asset for Dexter. We'll probably have to come up with a term for those assets that he likes to trigger his ability off. Yeah. I, to an extent, I think this is a really hard one to judge at the moment. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it, it, it'll be easier to come back to this towards the end of the cycle. In fact, here's an episode idea for you, Frank. Let's just have a have an end of cycle look back on Seal and Bless. Oh, sorry, on yeah. Curse and Bless. Yeah. Because Precisely, I think yeah. there's it, what we're saying is it's not a simple calculation of making the bag a bit better or a bit worse. There yeah. are so many other cards which interact with, with Bless and Curse in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're really going to need like a holistic picture of what of what it looks like. And you, you accidentally said seal there, but I think seal feeds into it entirely. Mm-hmm. Because if you're completely skewing the shape of the bag, sealing a skull on Chthonian stone might not have the same impact that it does in a in a bag that doesn't have all these extra curses or blesses added. So seal also feeds into it. Absolutely agree. Like also this card, this card is useless if no one's playing any curses as far as we know, unless the scenarios are going to really curse us heavily. So it, this is a real tool card for a specific problem that we don't yet know how common that problem will be. There we go. Let's move on. It's your turn. Yeah. Next we have Obfuscation. This is a two-cost asset with a uh, combat pip, and it uh, is a spell. It has fast, uses three charges, uses three charges, and it has a reaction ability. When an enemy makes an attack of opportunity against you, spend one charge, cancel that attack. Uh, it uses the arcane slot. Now you see me. Okay, prediction time. Will there be another card this cycle with the flavour, now you don't? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Is it the opposite of obfuscation? When an enemy makes an attack of opportunity against you, spend one charge, double that. <laughs> <laughs> it attacks itself. <laughs> yeah. Stop hitting yourself. Loads to like here, right? It's Dexter on the art. I think Dexter does seem like a, a good home for this. It's a yes. two-cost fast asset. So what I just said about those transition assets are nice. It gives you good bang for your buck in terms of how many charges it gives you. And it also sets up this nice thing that if Dexter might want to play assets, even when he's engaged with enemies, to keep his flow going and to set other things up. And this basically gives you that on tap, which is really nice. You could also pop down obfuscation fast to then take an attack of opportunity to play your shriveling or your azure flame cancelling the attack with obfuscation which is kind of cool and it doesn't get rid of itself when you've used those charges so you're then able to then turn this into something else which is really nice yeah does it find a home in any other rogue (laughs) um i I think actually just going back to dexter briefly you know what this reminds Mm, me of a little bit it reminds me of uh the sword cane yes which is that it's it's a almost an event ability mm-hmm. effect tied to an asset. Yes. So because it's fast as well, you can be in a position where you're about to take a, an, an attack of opportunity by doing something, and you say, "Well, let's just obfuscate. We'll do it, yep. and then I can feed this into something else." And if you save the one resource to play it, it's basically a dodge, right? It's it's three dodges if you if you, <laughs> if you use then all. use all three charges. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's that same thing in Dexter, where it's like, I have the the event effect on an asset, but mm-hmm. I can keep the asset around as well if I want. Yes, yeah, yeah. The fastness of it means you get it down whenever you need it. I mean, in Rogue in general, that arcane slot isn't particularly overcrowded, I would say, unless mm-hmm. you're playing mm-hmm. Sephina. Yeah, yeah. But then again, are you, are you maybe just evading if you're a Rogue? Yeah. Well, I've thought of a couple of homes yep. that I'll share with you. One, maybe you like this in Leo, 
if your tanking hits, mm-hmm. may, maybe you take an attack of opportunity to engage an enemy off someone else because you've got an enemy on you and then you flamethrower them all, say. So you've got this in your arcane slot protecting you from enemies and then your flamethrower in your hands. And then the other person, of course, is Trish. <laughs> Trish might really like narrow escape because she might first action investigate with an enemy engaged with her, cancel the attack of opportunity with narrow escape, and then get the evade out of the investigate. And obfuscation gives you three attack of opportunity cancels baked together. So maybe if she has enemies engaged with her and she wants to be investigating to get rid of them, she could also cancel the attacks of opportunity. You know, cancelling the hit of the shadow agent, say, could be very nice to investigate and, and then evade it. Yeah. Those are a couple of places that sort of leapt out to me. Yeah, I think that, 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 that's all reasonable, yeah. Okay, should we go on to the last card? Mm. And finally, we have Faustian Bargain. It's a zero-cost event, willpower and intellect icons. It's packed and cursed. As an additional cost to play Faustian Bargain, add two curse tokens to the Chaos Bag. Investigators at your location gain a total of five resources distributed as you wish. Sorry, Frank, this has just struck me. Do we not have XP cards in this expansion, in this deluxe? No, and uh, sometimes there aren't XP cards in deluxes. I think usually we get, most factions get like a one XP card, don't they? If you think back to TCU, oh, they got the tarot in TCU. Yeah, maybe so maybe they're just no XP this time around. Hmm. Anyway, Faustian Bargain. I really like this card. I think it's really, really good. This was one that was announced when they announced the Innsmouth Conspiracy, wasn't it? Yes. And I think you sent me a message saying this is very good. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, because it is. Yeah. Five resources for uh, zero cost, one action. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything not to like about it. And it, it, it spreads them amongst the investigators of your location as well. And that just adds to the grief potential, right? <laughs> play it and then refuse to share any resources because it's distributed as you wish. Yeah, And it's, it's a willpower icon as well, which I also think is nice on a resource card, which might yeah. be less useful at various points in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Double, double. I, there's a willpower and an intellect, which is fine. Yeah, at the cost of just making your bag ever so slightly worse. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad at all. Yeah, I think there's also like this extra sort of sleeper point about it is that rogues might be spending resources to pass tests, and they're probably more likely to than some other factions. So a nice big boost of resources to a rogue might also then mitigate some of the downside of the curses. You know, like you put it at, at its most stark, five resources is two streetwise boosts, so that's plus six, or it's a plus one repeatably with well connected. So you can kind of mitigate the issue of the curse tokens, or you play testlessly, <laughs> and so you get the five resources to pay all your testless stuff and let other people worry about the minus twos that you've added to the bag. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I thought I really liked this in uh, in gym. Mm, okay wow yeah because he worries about the chaos bag a bit less he's yeah. probably already getting a boost from his ability on the skull tokens yeah uh, and i think it's it's an asthmatic fit i think a, a faustian bargain and, and musicians is a is a kind of an old yeah it's an old yeah. folk story really and it's a co- common trope so yeah no i i, I think i like this a lot yeah yeah, I think that's nice. I think the power, we've only seen it really with Stand Together, haven't we? But the power to share out the resources really gives this a boost in flexibility because 
that one turn where someone goes, ah, oh, I'm one resource off what I needed to do to do X, Y, and Z. I've, I've messed this up, which is pretty common <laughs> that people want to do certain things and can't. You know, having having this ability on tap is so good. It basically fixes a problem we didn't know we had, which is it's, it could be economy for the whole team, depending on what you need. I like it a lot as well. Cool. That is the end of the road cards. Yes. So we're going to finish up here. You can get in touch with us in all the usual places. And stay tuned because we've got another unboxing episode coming soon. Yeah. Thank you.